1: Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> love it. Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like you can fix plot holes, but if the Yeah. So some there. readers love that and some readers are like, but
0: I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by former actor and cue operator, now full-time writer, Hester Musson. Hello, thanks so much hey. for joining me.
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me on.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. So just to clarify, I did introduce you as now full-time writer, and some people might be confused um, as, as I'm about to ask you about the debut novel, which is not yet out. So anyone listening, if you're confused by that, stay tuned. We'll, we'll get into Esther's <laughs> other writing work later. Um, but right now, The Beholders, your gothic historical fiction is out 18th of January. Yes. Tell us a bit about it.
1: Well, it's uh, it's set in 1878 and it begins with the trial of a woman who is the wife of an MP and she's accused of murdering their baby son. But the story then um, flips back a few months and is told completely through the diaries of a housemaid called Harriet who goes to work for them at their country estate. And Harriet is, uh, she's not happy. She doesn't want to go home and marry her childhood sweetheart and that's really the only sensible option open to her. Uh, but she doesn't want to be a full-time domestic servant either. Uh, She's looking for a higher purpose, and she thinks she's found it in this house. She's blown away by the grandeur of Finton Hall, where even the other servants are all beautiful, and especially in her mistress, Clara, who she seems to see something in Harriet that nobody else ever has. And she's uh, captivating in herself. She has this extraordinary singing voice and she fills the house with it. Um, So Harriet Harriet thinks she's landed on her feet, but then she begins to realize that there are secrets at Finton Hall. Everything isn't quite as it seems. And she begins to doubt her decision. And eventually she has to make another choice about how far she's willing to go, what she's willing to risk um, to do what she thinks is the right thing so it's about um ideas around service and power and how how power presents itself um to be sometimes what it what it isn't and especially when it's been abused uh, and in that way crimes are, can become hidden in plain sight
2: amazing that i mean it has all, all the all the kind of trimmings of, uh, of a great kind of thriller, mystery drama. And also, I'm aware, not just from the cover, which is wonderful, but the, the kind of gothic um, mm. aspect of it all. That was also, that was, are you sure this is your debut? That was such a good summary of the whole thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not my first summary. I sort of getting there. <laughs> so, yeah, most writers, they try and explain your book in a few sentences and it's, yeah, it's not easy.
2: My experience with writers, and this is me as well, is, I could, you can talk about someone else's book at length with ease, mm, and then when they, yes. when someone asks you about your book, you're like, "Oh, um, what is my book?" <laughs> yeah, because it's
1: cause it's, cause it's so big in your own mind that you can't. Yeah. It's sometimes difficult <laughs> to yeah whittle it down to the yeah. That's bones. True.
2: I'd not thought about it like that. Yeah, it's much larger. Like there's mm. because there's what you put on the page, and then there's everything else that's kind of ancillary that you that you left out.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like saying describe the country.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah and it would be easier to describe a country to another person who is native to that to that country yes again, yeah, versus, exactly because yeah. they would just get a lot of the things you wouldn't have to explain yes yeah exactly
1: describe another planet
2: maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so you mentioned that it it starts in in the trial and then it moves back and you you get a different point of view the book actually starts with a you have like a fictitious newspaper excerpt from the is it the evening standard uh
1: Yes. I can't remember. (laughs) it is.
2: Well, I was wondering, because obviously the first thing I did when I, when I saw the book, I I was like, well, let me see if this actually was a real newspaper (sighs) thing. Um, because I'm like that. Yeah, Um, no,
1: I did that with a book recently.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) were there any like real life events or characters that you drew inspiration from, from the period or whatever?
1: There weren't um, specifically. They're not based on actual people. It was more mm-hmm. an amalgam of uh, all sorts of different cases, um, not just in the nineteenth century, but but right up to now. Um, human nature hasn't changed that much. So it was, yeah. There's there's nothing I can point to and say it was definitely that. There there are some things. Um, it does um, talk about baby farming um, quite a bit, and I did a lot of research into that. And some things were taken directly from that. Uh, but but the characters are completely fictitious.
2: Okay. That's interesting because generally historical, when people do historical stuff, there's a lot of research involved. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. you, what was it about the kind of 1800s that that drew you in that made you want to say, oh, I want to write about this era specifically?
1: Well, I've always, I've, it's a, um era that I've always just been very drawn to. I love its literature um, and I find it fascinating historically because it's like you can never quite pin them down. Sometimes it feels like they're just, completely separate so outdated and sometimes it's startling what you discover is they had which you think could have come later and 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 some of the the views and the progressiveness of them It's startling it's very hard to kind of find your footing I think with the Victorians um but I didn't I never actually wanted to write a book set then um that happened because I was writing a story in the present and I, I had a historical subplot and I thought oh well Um, It was just quite a minor one, just dropping in letters or diary entries for a kind of background mystery that's going on that comes to sort of fruition in the present plot. Um, And then, because I needed it to work out with the generations for my modern heroine, I sort of got back to the 1870s. So that's why that's really why it started
2: there. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But then, when I actually started writing that subplot, and Harriet's voice came through, it just took over. And I eventually realized that this has just got to be the entire novel. So then I started thinking, so when exactly is it going to be? And now I'm not tied to it anymore. But I think because I'd already done quite a lot of research about the 1870s, I just shifted it to the right year. Um, and yeah, I found that everything worked very well anyway. So I didn't have to go and research too much <laughs> oh, <laughs> a wow. different time.
2: So this really started off as something quite different.
1: Totally different. Yeah.
2: Wow. Okay. That's, that's so cool. Mm. I wanted to ask about you know the the kind of dotting of letters and snippets and things like that throughout whether that was always kind of part of the plan
1: not really no I th- I can't remember when I put the first newspaper article in because when I started writing and thought oh okay this is going to be the whole book I was a bit do I really want to write a whole book in diary form because that is um amazingly challenging yeah <laughs> as it turns out but I ended up just doing that and I think I had a couple of snippets in and then actually because it falls very naturally into three sections it was my editor who said oh let's let's drop more in at each section which was great because then I could go in and um, explore different types of things it wasn't just newspapers so that was that was nice
2: yeah that- when it comes to the, and um, we, we've already just established that this was originally something very different, but mm. how much planning did you do ahead of like sitting down and, and beginning to write the story?
1: I did quite a lot because it was originally a subplot. I'd kind of, that story came together a, a bit more quickly, I think, than the main uh-huh. one. Um, so I had the temples, as it were, but I find, I, I really love plotting but there's only a certain point I can get to when I know that I have to stop and start writing because so much of the plot uh, will come out of character and I have to mm. write to really get to know the character so there's only so much I can do and sometimes it all goes to plan, other times I start writing and it actually veers off completely and I just let <laughs> myself go with it and then have another plotting. You know, At some point if I get really stuck I realise it's because I need to go away and think about the whole story more and and plot a bit more right but yeah this this one this book did not behave at, at any point in any way it was, <laughs> it was such a convoluted <laughs> writing journey um yeah that she wasn't it's it's set in finton hall for a lot of the book but originally that wasn't going to be the plan at all there was actually going to be a, a very different kind of story arc uh but i just couldn't get her to leave the house <laughs> She oh. leave. there was too much going on <laughs> Uh, so it that that had a big impact on the final
2: story as well. Well, you're not the first author to, and whether accidentally or on purpose, who I've spoken to who who likes to write out a sort of plan and a plot, mm-hmm. and then just put it to the side. So so it yeah. sort of it exists in the back of their mind, but but like there's nothing tying them to it. They're not referring to it to stay like completely on the track
1: yeah i think that's really nice because then you get the the fun of just writing to see what happens mm-hmm. uh, but that that i the first novel i wrote i didn't plan at all i just sort of threw myself at it i didn't really think i could write a novel so i just wrote anything <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> right, you know, nothing was in order, it was just different I had an idea about it, I'd start writing. Um, which was really, really fun, but it did take forever. And then yeah. you then eventually you have to go back and say, right, what is this? <laughs> yeah and, and sort of make it behave and make it neater. So I think yeah, to to plan which is fun in itself, but then to not be really strictly tied to it is kind of the best of both worlds in a way. You still get that fun of thinking, oh, this has happened, I need to go in this direction instead.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on what you've just said, I am going to guess that you've written multiple kind of full novel length manuscripts before The Beholders.
1: Two others. Um, two others, okay. And one of them, I keep going back to try and write. So I've written that one about four times. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were two, two that I got to completion. Yeah, the first one is the one that I still stand by and I would really like to crack. Um, <laughs> and I will keep going back to it. Um, And the second one was a totally different experience. I planned that much more. And I did more thinking about things like markets and and how you you submit to people. And and that's the one that did actually get me an agent. But then yeah, this is the book that's got all the way.
2: Oh, I see. So So Beholders is not the book that you signed with um, Juliet Muschins.
1: Yes, that's right. It was uh, the one before which... Ah. and, yeah, it's so great. Juliet's such a great agent in that because she's the sort of person who picks a writer and then will stay with you, which is really lovely. And, and thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the one before, uh, it did actually sell to an Italian publisher, but then I think the editor left, there was a shake-up, and it got shelved. So okay. it never actually got published.
2: Oh, interesting. Um,
1: okay. Yeah, which I didn't really – apparently it happens a lot. I hadn't realized that. So that was a bit disappointing. But it actually worked out great because – this is not my debut, um, so we can publish it with all the bells and whistles of it being a debut.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, we'll get all the extra marketing buzz and things like that. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: Oh, okay, that's pretty really cool. Since we're on Juliet anyway, um, and and Juliet's career is really like blowing up. It's it, it, she seems to be taking over publishing um, at it's the moment. It's extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it through open submissions that that you connected and signed with Juliet?
1: Yes, it was. Um, And I very nearly didn't uh, submit to her because she just had the miniaturist out and that had Mm. obviously gone stratospheric. Uh, So I thought, oh, she'll be absolutely inundated. And reading her blurb online, I thought, I'm not sure she'll be really interested in my book anyway. So I just thought, oh, perhaps she's not one to submit to. But then um, I was talking to two women who had their own publishers, um, little publishing indie house. So they were very interested in the novel, but they said, you know, (laughs) We'd love to, but we're actually shutting down now, <laughs> moving oh. on to other things. So yeah, I was like, oh, but they said, but we just met Juliet Mushins. You must submit to her. She was so lovely. And so I thought, oh, well, at least if, at least I can say I've met someone she's met now. So you've got that kind <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. you are know, just desperate for a toehold, just anything to connect you with someone. So yeah, so I just submitted it. And yeah, thank goodness.
2: Did you have a lot of agents getting back to you?
1: I had uh I, I submitted to a lot, uh, mm-hmm. and a few came back asking for the full uh, manuscript, but not not loads. And actually, Juliet was the last one. I was doing it in tranches of 10. Um, okay, that's good.: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's different now, I think then, because even then it would take such a long time for them to get back to you just because of how many they're reading. Um, and I think that's probably even more the case now, so I don't know if I'd do that again but it was it worked at the time um but she was the last one of that section of you know of of sending them out right and had asked for the whole novel so yeah that she was and she actually sent talk about her work ethic she sent me I saw she would sent me an email at 10 o'clock on a Friday evening (laughs) and I was like I thought I can't this is another rejection I can't face it just before I go to bed so I didn't open it
2: (laughs) oh yeah, yeah didn't
1: read it till the morning
2: well, that's good. Give you time to really uh, think about, ponder what it was overnight.
1: <laughs> yeah, just, just sort of you know, just sort of putting your armor on for, you know, what am I going to do this <laughs> way? <laughs> Get ready for it.
0: Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.
2: And once you'd signed with Juliet, presumably she, like most agents nowadays, is is she quite editorial?
0: yes
1: yes she is she's a brilliant editor in her own right actually um mm. which is fantastic i was quite nervous uh once i did get a deal of of getting another editor because i was like what if she's not as good as julia <laughs> but i um, actually really lucked out with katie bowden as well she's fantastic um but yeah she's very there was a lot of work uh that we did before submitting it to publishers um On,
2: well you mentioned that you, so you signed with the with the previous novel mm. when you wrote when you started sort of conceptualizing the beholders Mm. was that were you kind of bouncing ideas around with juliet for the whole thing
1: uh no 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 not at all um and i did ask her at one point if she wanted to read anything halfway Mm -hmm. through and and she said no she preferred to just get the whole
2: manuscript okay so you you didn't even sort of do kind of pitch stuff with her as in like this is what i'm thinking of writing and
1: yeah no i don't i don't think i did that um okay which is perhaps just as well as it would have been completely different from what I eventually
2: <laughs> said. Uh, yeah, it's true. Your process was to write a book and then find another book within the first book. <laughs> yes,
1: basically. <laughs> like Russian dolls.
2: Yeah, exactly. Is that is that more a kind of you preference? Is that you would like to be sort of left alone and just to write a thing? And then when the thing is complete, you that's when you want to kind of share it and talk about it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, because because it's such a strange and complex process to write a novel, yeah. I don't, I want it to be what it is with just me doing it without any sort of interference. Well, it wouldn't be interference, but, you know, without <laughs> any other influence in it. Yeah. Um, to see what I'm writing, I think you could very quickly get uh, knocked off track. I've tried, there was a time I tried a few different writers groups and I didn't find that Useful for for novel writing. It was great in terms of writing, talking about writing and improving. Mm -hmm. You know, sentence by sentence um, was really good. But I I didn't find it useful for the novel because it's the same thing we started talking about. You know, you have this world in your head which other people can't access if they're reading a couple of pages, Mm -hmm. and it and it is a real skill I think to do that and not sort of run away with your own ideas of what someone should do with a book so I do yeah, I do like to sort of keep it in-house I like talking about the ideas I like talking about the novel as I'm writing it that can be really helpful but not actually yeah. having someone read it so yeah I suppose I, I could have talked about it more but I don't know I feel
2: I I, I understand that it's it's very much I think it's it's a preference for you as a writer like some people I think thrive by having the whole process kind of back and forth with lots of other people and different mm. opinions stuff but yeah but i i understand f- f- like it sounds like with you if someone were to come in and say something it might kind of subconsciously change one thing and then the butterfly yeah. effect would explode that later on it could be completely the whole thing could be completely different to what it would have been
1: yeah, and I think that would be okay because you're all the time sort of b- being nudged by other influences. But I think mm-hmm. it can it can make you confused. Is what I found. It yeah. can sort of make you doubt. And if you've got some frail idea that you want to uh, explore, if that sort of gets shoved out of the way, you've you've missed the opportunity to see where it's going to go, and it might have ended up being being a much bigger thing. I've got lots of, in my notebooks, lots of sort of swearing of, what the hell is this? You know, (laughs) who is this character? They don't seem to serve a purpose, but I can't get rid of them. I think, you know, if it's too early, if someone says, no, that's not doing any, you know, that's not serving you, get rid of it. I think you can Mm then miss the opportunity. You sort of need to look back and decide that rather than do it in process, which,
2: which, yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. Let's get on to, uh, mentioned at the start, you, you do have sort of other writing uh, exploits. Uh, you, Namely, you write for the uh, National Charity Art Fund um, and, and its magazine.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, um. I've actually, I've got full time on the novel now. But before um, before the deal, uh, I was, yeah, I was writing for Art Fund, which was really lovely. Um, went to work for them for a while.
2: How do you, how did you get into that?
1: Um, That actually was very luckily through a friend. They just needed someone to come in and basically temp uh, very last minute some sort of very kind of, you know, basic on the website work. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's how I sort of got my foot in the door and then I just hung around. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually they gave me more to do and then eventually they sort of, yeah, there was a job going,
2: which I applied for. That's great. I mean, that's those kinds of jobs, um, whilst not as glamorous obviously as being like a published full-time author. It's a great thing to have like while you're in the process, while you're on the way to, you know, before you signed your deal and, and all of that.
1: Yeah, it is. I think it's, I think my life up until now has been basically searching for the perfect day job. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and actually while working for ArtFund was great, it was lovely. It's a really lovely, brilliant organization. Um, I, I did find that because it was writing but not not the novel writing it kind of exhausted my brain and I was writing uh. less of what I wanted to write um which is part of the reason why I went back to freelancing for them and sort of left the main job mm. um it, it but yeah it's, it's a difficult one because I, I did think oh you know I'm not getting anywhere I'm doing jobs which you know they're all fine in themselves but it's not writing and I just I feel like a writer um so I want to go and get one. But then when I did, it was like, Oh, I'm not writing what I want to write <laughs> I'm Too tired at the end of the day to think about constructing yeah. another sentence.
2: I, it's funny. I watched, um, I often talk about Brandon Sunson because he has a series of lectures on, on YouTube that I watched all of. And he talks about on the road to becoming a, a, an author. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people are going to be working a, a, a full-time or part-time job beforehand. And the mm-hmm. jobs, he, one of the jobs he recommended was he was like, don't, take a job that you think would make sense, but like that involves lots of writing or things like mm-hmm. that. He's like something like bricklaying, something that's very menial and sort of almost therapeutic. And you're just mm-hmm. doing the same thing over and over again. He said, those are kind of so good for just giving your brain space to switch mm-hmm. off and think about your creative side whilst doing a job, which is ostensibly pretty easy.
1: Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. That, um, I, went in it was during the first lockdown the second one whenever it was when you were allowed to travel to study mm-hmm. um, so I went and did a sort of a little traineeship on nature conservation on a farm in Devon um, which it was like a sort of boot boot camp um, of of conservation skills and I actually went there thinking oh maybe if I sort of try all these different things out because that's another area that I'm really interested in Um, And then maybe I could spend my days, you know, dry stone walling um, or hedge laying or something and (laughs) then go home and write. Um, And it it was that was fantastic. But what actually happened was they asked me to write a blog. And I think what I wanted to do was write about nature and (laughs) and regenerative farming. (laughs) I just wanted to write again. Um, Yeah. But but I, yeah, I think the jobs I've had, which where you don't have to think too much, have definitely actually been the best ones for the writing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, before we get on to the, uh, the final question, we are days away from the book coming out, releasing yes. Into the World. How are you feeling about it?
1: I'm just in a constant state of amazement now, I think. <laughs> it was kind of numb shock. And yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I'm astonished (laughs) and excited as well, Um, and a bit nervous. Is
2: there is there a part of you that still doesn't think it's going to happen? Like it still doesn't think it's. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely. I thought by now I'd have kind of got used to it, but no, I'm still slightly sort of jaw on the floor about the whole thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is surreal, and especially if you know, if you're someone that has always been around books and you like to go into bookshops and stuff, the idea of seeing your book on a shelf, like in, in the window or something like that is just, it's just mind blowing. Yeah, I think
1: actually seeing it in a bookshop is going to be another sort of thudding moment. I, I've got a copy which yeah. it's just sort of sits around the house and I do every time I walk past it, I have a sort of little jolt because it's real. <laughs> it's <laughs> something I've dreamt
2: of. Yeah, I think it's pretty common for, um, I, I think I've spoken to a few authors who have, th- they said that, yeah, when they, the moment when they saw the, their book in the shop, they they cried. Because it's right. just, it's insane. It's like, it, it doesn't seem real. In fact, one of my friends recently had like a very weird moment. M- Melissa, she, her, she writes YA and she saw her book was on a table in a bookshop next to <gasps> Twilight, oh where, which is obviously like a book that she as a teenager grew up with. Yeah. And it's just, she's like, I never in a million years thought that my I would write a book that would be on next to such a like massive kind of global phenomena book that I read when I was a teenager.
1: Oh, what a brilliant moment! Yeah, I yeah. think I think that is going to be the moment where it does come home. I hope I keep it together. <laughs> yeah,
2: bring bring a box of tissues. You'll be fine. I know. It's as women
1: crying in Woodstones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're used to it. They'll be like, a, "It's probably the author." <laughs>
2: Um, amazing. Well, I, I'm very excited for it. Very excited for you, and, Thank and uh, you. I hope everything everything goes amazingly and and it's uh, and it's a wonderful time. Thank you. That brings us to the final question of the episode, which, as always, is Hester. If you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book do you hope to have with you?
1: Well, I had been going to say Possession by A.S. Byatt because mm-hmm. she is. My sort of mothership for writing um, <laughs> but I, w- I would be actually I think I would be very tempted um, to take Fowler's Dictionary of Modern English Usage <laughs> to be honest okay I,
2: interesting.
1: Only, I only bought it this year and I wish I'd bought it much earlier because it's brilliant it's written in a really conversational style so it, and it just feels like someone chatting to you knowledgeably about words and grammar and and that's my kind of party so I think it, <laughs> it would like really good company and there's also there's so much in it that the snippets that it uses to illustrate a point um, are all real they're all taken from the world and that they're, they're quite often really intriguing um, sentences do you want to know the the background of it the rest of the story uh, so I think it would actually be a great sort of source of inspiration because we're going to still be writing on this island right it's not just reading.
2: Well, if you can, if you can fashion yourself some kind of writing implement. Oh well, yeah. I mean, maybe just a stick in the parchment. sand.
1: It would just, Yeah.
2: <laughs> a helicopter flying over can read yeah. your limericks. <laughs>
1: yeah. Not help save me. Just some really nice no. sort of metaphor. they
2: <laughs> will start an Instagram page of words <laughs> written in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's mystery. Um, yeah. And also, and, and it's just so interesting and there's so much in it. And you could be, you know, stuck on an island, but improving your vocabulary
2: mean yeah i mean that's <laughs> why you? brilliant i i i wasn't familiar with this book before but it sounds fantastic i'm gonna have to look into it
1: it's 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 pretty good yeah i recommend <laughs> it
2: <laughs> pretty good <laughs> the one book i would take with me yeah it's pretty good <laughs> well that's amazing awesome choice uh a totally unique choice as well never never had that before oh yes um <laughs> nailed it uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with me and telling us all about your your writing and uh, the beholders it sounds amazing i can't wait for it to come out um it's been awesome chatting thank you
1: very much it's been really fun thanks
2: and for anyone listening if you want to keep up with what hester is doing you can follow her on twitter and instagram at hester Musson. and to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow along on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook you can support the show on patreon and for more bookish chat check out my other podcast the chosen ones and other tropes thanks again to hester and thanks to everyone listening